So I don't know if you're like me, but when you see that video, you start wondering whose faces are in the video. So I've watched it about 10 times now, and I can piece out certain people that are sitting here right now that are in the video. It's kind of cool. You know, the mosaic of different faces and everything. This last week, uh, myself and a couple of the elders of our church and Pastor Aaron were able to go to a conference, and it was really enjoyable. It was like three days of youth camp with hour and a half sermons. Does that sound like fun? Oh, it does to me. I, I enjoy that. But, but it, was, it was a lot of really good speakers, and it was exciting. And just to hear about how the gospel is going out all over the world, there were speakers from different places in the United States, but it was also like simulcast to over 130 countries, and that was really, really enjoyable. And it came, I came back thinking that as a church, as a community, we have so many things that we're blessed with that other churches don't have or other communities don't have. And so even more, um, I realized how much of God is focusing us for this, this four Stuben movement, and it, it made me really excited. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray as we uh, get into God's word this morning. We're actually going to be in Luke and Acts, so I'm going to go to jump a little bit this morning, but we'll primarily be in Acts, and that's kind of what I'm going to be preaching on, but um, the book of Luke uh, will be there for just, just a second. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and, and we ask that you would allow us to say yes to the people that have said no, the people that have said no to Jesus, the people that have said no to, to church, the people that have said no, or maybe they don't even know what they want. God, help us to be a people, a church, that is, that is passionately pursuing you, and in doing that, your Holy Spirit guides us to people that are lost, that need hope, that need Jesus. Help us to be that church. And as we look at the example of Paul this morning, help us to be like Paul and how we approach our community. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor at Sunlight Community Church, and I'd like to welcome you here. So I'm going to say good morning. Oh, that was good. I like that. I learned that I'm not the only one that makes people repeat that, especially at this conference. There was one speaker that kept making them repeat it. I was like, yeah, I do that too. It's very interesting. So today we're in the second week of a series called Four. If you didn't see last week, you might have not heard that we, we want to start a movement called For Stuben. And part of that is we are for our community. We want to be known for being for our community. So if you have our app, you can click the link at the top of the feed to find both our digital bulletin and notes. Today we're going to be in Acts, like I said, the fifth book of the New Testament. This week we're going to look at saying yes to those that have said no. How are we going to create common ground? What does that look like? So let me guess, everyone in here is going to know about a certain logo that I'm going to share with you. What do you think is the second most recognizable logo in the world? Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Part of the reason for this is Coca-Cola's goal is to have a Coke in the arms of everyone on the planet. Have you seen their commercials? I mean, they make you want to watch them, right? There's always, there's like Coke commercials where someone's like on the pyramids with a Coke and they're everywhere. They're in China, they're all over the world. 
In some ways, that's a crazy goal, right? A Coke within arm's reach of 7 billion people. And yet, Coke continues to make great strides towards that goal. Now, why is that? Why do you think that is? Well, part of the reason is because Coke is very passionate about what they do. I guess they really like sugar water and probably profit. But sugar water, I mean, I, they're pretty passionate about sugar water. And as a result, they've made huge strides towards, towards being the most recognizable symbol in all of the world. But they're still known as the second most recognizable symbol. Notice what I said, the second most recognizable symbol. What's leading me to the question, and this is not a rhetorical, I want someone to answer. What is the most recognizable symbol in the world? The number one most recognizable symbol in the world. Whoa, whoa, whoa. someone said Nike, okay. Which, Nike is not it, what? Someone's, Pepsi, no. The cross, oh, I heard the cross. Yes, that's right, the cross. There are people with cross necklaces that don't even know what the cross means. The cross is the most recognizable symbol in the world. It's the most recognizable symbol. And like Coca-Cola, we still have a lot of work to do explaining the meaning and the beauty of the cross. It's not just around the world, but around our community. In fact, if I were to... I'll just, I'll just use an example from Zillow. You go on Zillow. You ever see the Zillow app? It's basically just a map of spaces, and it's got homes for sale. And if you were to draw a 20-mile radius around our church, you would, in fact, find lots of people that don't know what the cross means. Or they have their own version of what it means, but it's not what's in the Bible. And what Jesus did for them on the cross, they don't know that. Coca-Cola, though, would never say they've reached enough people. Coca-Cola would say there's more people to reach, Right? Because we want to sell more. We want to sell more sugar water. We, we were at this conference, and, and at one lunch, we started kind of debating what the best Coke is. Do you know there's, like, different types of Coke? Like, so McDonald's, like, triple filters their water, I guess. So that's, like, really good Coke. But you know what the best Coke is? The glass jar bottles, like, that you get straight from Mexico, right? Those are the best ones. That's what we decided. There are more people to reach. Somewhere in the world, there is someone that has not had a Coke before, and Coca-Cola wants to get it in their hands. But what Coca-Cola would focus on is not their success, but their potential. That's what we want to focus on as well, as a church. Never let it be said that Coca-Cola is more passionate about sugar water and profit than we are about Jesus. Think about that. God hasn't blessed us with success, but he has blessed us with potential. Our potential is the number of people in our community that don't know Jesus and believe. People who don't know and believe are, are the very people that Jesus would pursue. The lengths that Jesus went in order to bring them to his amazing grace are exponential. Today I want to talk about how we continue to take steps towards that potential. Towards that potential to reach more and more people. Last week we began our four series by asking a question. Does anyone remember what the question was? I've already said it once. What do we want to be known for? So here's our bottom line from last week. Many people are more familiar with, the church, with what the church is against. We want to be known for what we're for. And we're for Steuben County. We're for people, schools, businesses in our community. We want this community to thrive because we're part of the community. 
And part of the reason we're for our community is because God is for our community. He's for Steuben County. So I'm going to talk specifically about how we're going to do this, to continue this. The reason so many people don't know Jesus and choose not to attend church is because they've said no. My kids say no all the time. No. Don't say no to me. It's a little different when they're like three years old. But when you get older and someone says no to you, you just kind of back off. They've said no to Jesus. They've said no to the church. They've said no to what we believe. And our response will show our community that we are for them. And more importantly than that, show them that their Heavenly Father is for them too. That Jesus loves them. And we need to start by saying yes to those who have said no. Jesus gave us a very specific clue about what to do based on what he had come to do. So turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, or 19, sorry, 19. Luke chapter 19. I had preached on this earlier this year, so I'm going to give you the 10,000 foot view. But I want to read Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus here, he enters a city, and this is what he does. And you enter a city every day. Some place you go, some community you go to is, is local here. He entered Jer- Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And then when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I preached on this passage pretty recently when we talked about our core value of sending people out to replicate like Jesus. And because of that, I'm going to give the big picture, the 10,000-foot view, and just focus on that last verse here. Zacchaeus, in his interaction with Jesus, was lost. He was seeking Jesus. He was trying to figure out what was going on. To put it mildly, he was a cheat. He embezzled money from the, that hurt the disadvantaged the most. He was lost, and he was well, not well-liked. Who is the Zacchaeus in your life that you need to seek out? Who's the person you know is lost, but also is not well-liked? Who do you have common ground with? And I said before, and I will say it again, if we're going to replicate like Jesus, the key is not isolation from others, but integration. If we want to live sent and see God move through us, we have to seek out others. We have to seek out others. We have to initiate with them. And we have to spend time with them praying, but also praying ourselves for those opportunities. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that's the mission. That's it. That's the big picture mission. When we lose sight of that, we find things that are not the main thing become the main thing. So we we see right here at the end that salvation has come, and it's come to seek and save the lost. 
Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus made it clear. He's come to seek those who are far from God. Sunlight is a church. You're not always here with us, but sunlight is not like every church. We have a very special DNA. And, and the church has a DNA, but, but sunlight as itself... We have a Holy Spirit drive to get people saved. Many of the leaders of this church, and as I talk to other pastors, this is uncommon. Many of the leaders of this church didn't grow up in the church and found faith as adults. That is very uncommon. That is not normal in the church. We need to realize the gift that is so that we can be part of the movement of God in our community. Let's define what the lost is. When I use that term, a lot of you have different words in your head. Maybe what are the lost? The lost are people who have not only said no to Jesus, church, and what we believe. They're often people that feel like the church has said no to them. It's not just one or the other, it's both. And that's, that, when I, when I read that and I processed through that in this passage, I just started to realize that, you know, I don't ever want to become a barrier from someone coming to church or being a part of the church community. Here's how we're going to change that, though, as part of our four movement. The church is here to say a few things. We're going to say yes to those who've said no. And how we're going to do that is people people that have said no to what we believe, said no to church, said no to Jesus, and people that just don't know. Well, how are we going to do that? It's going to require us to push back against insider thinking. You ever walk into a conversation and you feel left out because you're like, have no idea what people are talking about? There's like inside jokes. That's sometimes what church feels like to someone coming to church. And so insider thinking is is being concerned with insiders only. Coca-Cola, again, fights against this. They've never allowed insider thinking from stopping them from trying to put a Coke within arm's reach of everyone on the planet. Insider thinking at Coca-Cola would sound like this. This is putting it in context here. We already have a lot of people drinking Coke. I think we're good. Said no one at (laughs) Coca-Cola. They've never thought like that, and yet the church often can. We think in our practice and how we practice community, we already have enough people who know Jesus in our community. I don't like adding people to our group. Oh, it's so hard. I don't want to have to get to know someone. Ooh. Again, never let it be said that Coke is more passionate about sugar water and profit than we're passionate about Jesus. In any church, there's a drift towards insider thinking. Here's an example. And this is something that has happened every day I've been in ministry, back even before I was at Sunlight, and I was a youth pastor in another church, just all these different places I've been. This is so true. In church world, we rarely get calls from outsiders, someone that's not from the church, saying, if you do this, I might start attending church. You know? You never get those calls. I, I don't know a pastor that's ever gotten that. I actually asked a couple of pastors that have been in ministry longer than I have. Instead, we get emails or anonymous letters. Those are really fun, the anonymous ones, saying, if you don't do this or play this style of music or launch this program, we're going to leave. Ooh, that's totally different, right? That's insider thinking. If we aren't careful, we as a church start crafting our church around people that are already getting into heaven, people that already know Jesus, And I've had lots of these conversations over the past eight years. I've had lots of them. 
Those of you that have been at the church for eight years know that I wasn't the lead pastor that whole time, but I've been at the church that long. And here's what I've told people, and I tell people. The best kind of church for you is to attend is not one that caters to you, but instead invites you into the mission of focusing on those that are far from God, those that are distant. It's the mission of Jesus, seek and save the lost. It's as simple as that. There's no other mission. So today, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to serve in our church. And when you think of that, you might think of a commitment like serving in children's ministry or women's ministry or men's ministry or youth ministry. That's not what I'm asking. I want you to serve in our church. Think about that mission. Serving in the church is to seek and save the lost, to give to our church, to get involved. Here's why. You will never know what the church can do for you until you experience what the church can do through you. Let me say that again. You will never know what the church can do for you until you experience what the church can do through you. So essentially, the pattern and the path to seeing God move through you, to bringing people to Jesus, is by serving. How do you say yes to those who've said no? I'm going to try to get really practical. Some of you are like, man, I don't even, he doesn't even have points yet. Well, I've got lots of slides, right? I don't even have points yet. Because we're not experts, we're learning. And I'm going to limit it to three different ways this morning. And it's not things I came up with. Instead, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul did. We're going to follow his model when he went to Athens. And in Acts chapter This is why I had 17 on the mind. It's Acts chapter 17, so that's why I was thinking Luke chapter 17. But in Acts chapter 17, we're going to see what his model was for saying yes to those who have said no. Paul arrives in Athens. I'm going to give you some context uh, starting in uh, about verse 15, 16 there. Paul arrives in Athens and doesn't speak first, but decides to look around. First thing he gets to town, he doesn't just start speaking and preaching. He just kind of gets the lay of the land. Verse 16 says, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. He saw the idols. Verse 16 lets us know what Paul saw in Athens. It was not a city of beauty, which the world at the time would have said it was, but one filled with idols. He would have seen a city filled like this, and and most of us don't have the context of that, that the historical background of what's going on there, but there would have been images of Greek gods, statues everywhere, from the finest sculptors of the day, and they would have been made with gold and silver and ivory and marble. It would have looked amazing and beautiful, but instead of seeing the beauty that others saw, he saw idols. He was provoked, or you might say distressed. He felt for the people there. He's driven by compassion for those that did not know Jesus yet. He loves the people that are alienated and lost because they're seeking after these statues and worshiping these gods. One way that we can say yes to those who have said no is say yes by having compassion. Say yes by having compassion. No one likes a know-it-all. Have you ever heard that phrase? It doesn't mean you don't tell people what 
Jesus' words say and what is moral and what is right. But it means you have compassion on them. Say yes by having compassion. First place Paul went to is the synagogue. Right after this, he goes to the synagogue. It's a habit he had on his missionary journeys. And then he went to the marketplace. Verse 17 says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. There's a little note there. He's going to his people and he does not, it doesn't say anywhere he was provoked or he had compassion or he cared about what was going on there. Yet there was probably some of the same problems. Some of the the philosophers of the Greeks caught on to what he was doing. And so verse 18 and following is kind of where it starts heating up, you might say, in this passage. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Anyone like being called a babbler? I can just imagine Paul being like, I'm going to let that go. Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That sounds like the internet right there. We spent all our time spent listening to or hearing something new because honestly, the flood of information is way more in our day. This sets the stage for the beginning of a defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to a hostile crowd. He's pulled them in. He's walked around their city. He's talked to them. He's listened to them. He's seen what they're all about. And then he goes... And they they say, hey, we want to hear about this. He's got his opportunity. How he starts is two more ways that we're going to say yes. Acts 17, 22 and 23, A, just the beginning of verse 23, says, so Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he starts with this, men of Athens. Imagine hearing me in this booming voice, you know, in this space. Much like this. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I perceived. I passed along. I observed. This is incredible. The first thing Paul went out to do in the community was he saw, he walked around, he observed, and he listened. I see the objects of your worship. This example has led us to a very helpful practice. Say yes by listening more. Sometimes we don't ask the question like, why aren't you in church? Because we're afraid of the answer. Well, because church people hurt me. Because I don't like church people. Because they treat me differently. Because they all talk about this stuff that I have no idea what they're talking about. Because, and name the list, say yes by listening more. It's really easy to talk. I get to talk for 30 minutes on a Sunday. That's easy. It's a lot harder to listen to someone that's hurting. The the former CEO of Popeye's Chicken. Anyone go to Popeye's Chicken? I know I mentioned Chick-fil-A last week. Now I'm mentioning Popeye's Chicken. 
They're in battle, right? Let a turnaround in their company, and she, she was asked, what was the most important action she took to implement? What's the most important action? What do you think it was? She went on a listening tour. She went through the whole company and listened to the employees all the way down to the minimum wage employees, the people that, that stocked the back to the people that were cooking in the back. She went around and she listened to people. So I want to give you a big idea here about this. Like, let me give you a couple of examples. Example number one. A few years ago, there was a survey about people who identified themselves as having no religion. They're called the nuns. That's what, the, that's what Time Magazine's called it. That's what New York Times has called it, all these different organizations. This is what they said on average, was that, that most nuns were 18 to 34-year-olds. Is that a surprise? Anyone surprised by that? No, right? I'm technically older than that now. That scares me, okay? I, I thought I was young until I saw this. They live in the United States, and they have no religion. This was a, a national survey, but then it was an international survey, and it still came out with these results. So most people that say they have no religion are in the United States, and they're in that age group. They were asked a question in this survey, how interested would you be in hanging out with a church pastor or staff member? Ooh, I don't like the answer to this. I feel like I'm going to have no friends after this. Are you 18 or 34-year-olds? You're going to hate me. Because look, look what the answer was. 84% of unchurched 18 to 34-year-olds are not interested in hanging out with a church pastor or staff member. 84%. I only got 16%. Man, we're pulling low. If they're not interested in hanging out with us, me, how are we going to share the good news about Jesus? That's where the church comes in. It's not about the pastor. It's not about an individual. It's about the church of Jesus Christ. But there's a glimmer of some good news on this listening tour that we can be on. They also asked another question. And I think this question is more important because this tells you what actually is needed. And so, what, if anything, do you like or would you like about the church? What was the number one answer? What do you think? Anyone? Music? Okay. All right. Anything else? I'll take more answers. Bible? Bible? Okay. So this is people that are not church. Think about this, okay? So what their number one answer was, I feel like I'm on uh, Family Feud right now. And the number one answer is? All right. The number one answer is Community. They wanted community. Before someone really is passionately pursuing Jesus, they feel they've been said no to in community. And we need to say yes to them in community. In fact, there was one verbatim comment in the survey that I was reading that stood out to me. And it was this. I would be more likely to attend church if I could find a community I could relate to. And what, what churches have done, they've actually gone the opposite direction that we need to in the sense that they've tried to become so relatable that they've lost the gospel. And so I'm not saying that we have to compromise our beliefs. We don't have to water down our values. We just need to be available and just listen. It's pretty easy. We need to let people know we're for them. If you compromise your beliefs, you're not actually for the other person because what you're doing is you're actually 
you're, if, they're, if they're headed to a cliff, you're not stopping them. If you know that they need Jesus and you're not talking to them about it, that actually is making the situation worse. But we need to listen to them. We need to let people we know we were for them, that the church is here for them. Every Sunday is someone's first Sunday. Everyone walks into church at some point, and they're special guests. If, they're, if you're here and it's your first Sunday, you're a special guest. And we want people to know who we know. Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's why Paul walked around in Athens. I can tell you from reading the New Testament that Paul probably just wanted to go preach. That's who Paul was. He wanted to see people come to Jesus, but he chose to do something else first. Much like Jesus chooses to go and pray, Paul chose to walk around and see what was there before he made a decision on what to say. We want, them to, we want people to believe in Jesus' life-giving power, the power of the resurrection. Let me give you a second example. Asking the question, how can we help? How can we help? Where does that question take us? Before you try to fix someone else, ask how can we help? How can I help? That might be better if we're talking individually, but how can we help? This one question would save a lot of marriages and relationships with others. How can I help? Well, I don't want you to fix me. I just want to cry on your shoulder. How many of you heard that before? Come on. Only me? All right. This one question could save a lot of marriages. I'm just, that's just. Use how can I help to be a unifying question that guides what we do. This last week, I had mentioned that I got to meet with the mayor. And one of the best parts of meeting with the mayor was I, I was meeting with him for about 30 minutes. And I said, you know, I know you've, your time is important. You're the mayor of our city. You know, like if you need to go, you know, that's fine. I figured I'd only get 30 minutes with you anyways. An hour and a half after that, we ended up stopped talking. And I know some of you see me and go, well, it was totally you. No, he actually said at that point, he said at that point, he said, I don't get many conversations where people are asking, how can we help the community? I usually get conversations that are like, you're doing something wrong. That made me sad. And I, I started to realize how much people need the how can I help question. And that's what I opened with. How can we help Angola? How can we help our community? So we need to say yes in a common unifying language. What it says here, and the reason I didn't give the end of the verse in verse 23, is because there's a common unifying language that Paul identifies. Say yes in a common unifying language. Paul, it says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you're very religious. Okay, there's a common unifying language. I see that you're religious. You're religious just like me. I just trust in Jesus, and you trust in a statue. Verse 23 says, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. There's a common language there. Jesus is the unknown God. If you, know, if you know the rest of this sermon that Paul preaches, 
It's the unknown God. Jesus is the unknown God. There needs to be a common language that runs throughout our church from Sunday morning worship to circles to children's ministry to men's and women's ministry that communicates a purpose that can be understood for those outside the church and inside the church. That's why we've been launching Four Steuben. It makes sense. We're Four Steuben County. This builds a common language and a common bond, as we said last week. You know, pay it backwards. I might as well bring this up now. I got a couple texts this week. They were funny texts. It wasn't just one text. I got a few of people paying it backward and then realizing when they paid it backward that someone was really raking up the, the bill. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, hey, I hope the car behind me at Five Lakes is $5. And when it's like $55, you are like, oh, oh, that's not in my budget. My generosity budget is $5. I had more than one person communicate that the person behind them in line that was like, whoa, that was a lot. Hey, that's what it's about, right? Okay, <laughs> That person in the car behind them probably paid for the person behind them because they're like, hey, they'll be $5, and then they were like 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, you know? It was exciting to hear that because if we're going to be for our county, one of the things we have to do is be generous. And that's not just on Sunday mornings. That's what we do with our lives. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've been affected personally by someone with, a, with the common language of, being for someone else. Someone else bought a meal for us or, or you know, my family's out and we go to leave and it's paid for. It's happened a lot. And I can't tell you how many times, every time that happens, I'm just so grateful and thankful. You know, people that don't have something good happen to them for a long time, that could make their week. They could be like, who paid for me or who did this? Because I want to pay it, pay it back to them, but Really, then you have an opportunity to share with them the gospel. Paul knew that there was a common language with the Greeks. He finishes in verse 30, right here. When he, starts, he starts talking in verse 30, and it's, it's very important that we read this part. So verse 30 through 34. Starting in verse 30, it says, The times of ignorance God overlooked. He's speaking to the Greeks now. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Wait, who is this man? You know who the man is. It's Jesus. Verse 32. And then they heard of the resurrection from the dead. Some mocked. If he's pre preaching like this, I had, I had one of the elders joke that he was going to stand in the back and heckle me in a sermon. That'd be really fun because I'm not a comedian, so I don't know how that would go. And this is like people just shouting at Paul. They're shouting at Paul. They're mocking him. So get that picture in your mind. And then it says, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed and it continues with a couple names, so we know that there's eyewitnesses. And Some joined and believed, but others mocked. We will encounter opposition to fulfilling the mission of the church to seek and save the lost. You are not going to have people like what you're doing sometimes. And you may be being the most generous you've ever been in your life. You might be giving of yourself. You might have people do things that are really hurtful. 
But by the grace of God, if God's given us grace, we can give other people grace. Undeserved favor. Recently this week, I've, I've seen people just not give grace. And I've seen the opportunity that we have to give grace in those, in those situations. You ever talk to someone like, man, so-and-so treated me this way, so I, I feel like I need to go back and treat him that way. Well, at that moment, you're already not giving grace because it's like, well, I'm treating him poorly because they treated me poorly. But instead, because we're serving Jesus, Jesus is the resurrected king, the resurrected savior that's given all those that believe in him new life. I think we can give some grace to people. We can eliminate insider language. So we don't talk a certain way or act a certain way except for to be for other people because they matter to God. Jesus is the one we repent to and we receive forgiveness. That's what it says in the passage here. Jesus is the one we're repenting to. It doesn't mean water down the message, but it means go places you weren't going before because you were afraid or you didn't want to or it required you to be so intentional that you just didn't do it. You know, something I did when I was younger, I'd always say I'm planning to when I had no intent on what I was planning to do. You ever, you ever do that when you're younger? It's just like, yeah, I'm planning to do that. And then three months later, it never happened. Let's not be that. Let's not do that as a church. Let's do this as a church. So this week, so what? What's the big deal? How are we going to say yes to those who have said no? So what? Everyone is going to receive a Coke when they leave church. A can of Coke. You guys notice the symbol? I didn't use it. In, I could have put a picture up there and stuff, but everyone's going to recognize what a Coke looks like. Right by the doors as you leave, there's going to be a Coke. Everyone gets one can of Coke. Kids, you do not get two, okay? One can. Teenagers, one. The reason we wanted to give you a Coke this morning is to remind you that Coke is still trying to reach more people. It's not about Coke. It's actually about what Paul did. Paul walked around. He listened. He went, on, he, he went to go out into the community in Athens and saw that it was full of idols. Can't we say that about our own community? There's idols everywhere. There's things we worship. We're still trying to reach more people. We want to say yes to no to those who have said no to Jesus. No to church. No to what we believe. But we have the cross. The most identifiable symbol in the entire world. There are people with cross tattoos that don't even know what it means. There are people that wear necklaces and have no idea what it means. It's the easiest thing to describe what Jesus has done for us. Why is the cross empty? Because he resurrected from the dead to give us new life. Something very powerful happens when people who have said no to church realize that the church has said yes to them. You saw how quickly Zacchaeus invited Jesus in once Jesus went and talked to him? He probably was like getting down that tree, you know, shimmying down the tree, running to his house, getting things ready, because he was said yes to by Jesus. And people can be said yes to by us. God has blessed our church with extraordinary potential. There is tons of potential and in opportunity 
there are more people to reach. Every pastor I talk to in our county, there are more people to reach, trust me. I almost want to take a Sunday morning and we'll just all have church at Walmart, okay? We're going to go talk to people at Walmart because the people in Walmart right now are the people that are not in church. There's this divide. So who are you going to reach? Is there a name? Is there a people in a place that you go? Start praying. Maybe you have questions and you're like, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm all in. You know, if I was at Coca-Cola, I would just be the person like delivering the stuff. I don't really want to, you know, sell more or anything like that. We need to spend time thinking about what it means to follow Jesus this week. We're going to say yes to people, to them, by showing them we're for them. The best news of all that you can tell someone else is that God is for them. God desires desperately a relationship with them, a a relationship that has started and initiated through repentance and forgiveness for all eternity. And that's what we need to be. This week, go out. Hey, pay it backward this week. Maybe you'll get lucky. It's like kind of, you know, well, it'll be five bucks this week and it'll be 10 bucks next week or maybe it'll be $100, I don't know. But someone's going to be blessed by that. If you haven't, if you weren't with us last week, we have still have magnets that say for Stubin. They're at the Connection Center. I would encourage you to get one of those, put it on your car or some, some type of uh, space that you have. But this week, remember, despite all the news you're going to hear this week, all the things you're going to hear, the best news of all is that God is for our community. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, help us to have compassion on those that need you like we all do. Help us to say yes to your mission to seek and save the lost. Help us to say yes to being generous with others. Help us to say yes by being for Steuben County and for the place we live and the community we live in and the the, the people we're around. God, help us through your Holy Spirit to know when to listen and when to speak up. Help us to be like Paul walking around our community, praying for people, seeing opportunities meeting needs and sharing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ by which all of his followers are saved we say all this in Jesus name